This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. This is part 10 of our series of lessons called The People of God. And today we're going to be focusing on the local church and the work of a local church. Last week we really emphasized biblically that the people of God that is universal in scope and how uh, using that phrase and biblically understanding the people of God includes those who have obeyed him, whether they're on, whether they're now in heaven or, or they're on earth. It's just all people everywhere who have submitted to God's plan for salvation. And we noted in, in the course of that study, how um, one of the obligations of, of being God's people is wherever you are in the world is to find others who have who who are also following Christ and join yourself to them as as Paul did in Acts chapter nine and work as a kind of team uh, amongst the community where wherever you are and so we have uh, you know the the church of Philippi and the church of Thessalonica and the church of the church of Corinth and so you have these local teams or local churches of saints made up of the people of God, uh, who are t- together and and striving together for a common purpose, and uh, we want to focus more on that today. What you know, what makes the local church? How does that come together? What patterns of organization do we see in in the New Testament? And talk about some of those things. The author of Hebrews says in chapter ten, verses twenty four and twenty five, that brethren are to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And, uh, you know, the love love and good works that he talks about there, it's very broad. It's a broad definition of the work that each local church or each team of saints is expected to accomplish. But when we examine the details of love and good works in the New Testament, we find that uh, they don't include... The social functions, um, ice cream socials or church socials of today or fellowship halls today, what, what we typically would think of as assembling or coming together in the religious world today, at least in our, in our part of the world, um, by and large, the emphasis is given to um, social activities. And in the book of Acts, especially, we find a history of, of the early church and what those local churches did as Paul moved around, he established local churches and gave them instructions and, and, and how we can see how they interacted with one another and uh, the, the work that they did. And so I think it's important to consider that history and other scriptures, uh, obviously, to see why the saints assembled. Um, so they were to do that. They weren't to forsake it. And the particular reason given for that assemblage was that assembly was to encourage one another. Uh, they, they worship God, obviously, but there was also a horizontal kind of a priority there to encourage uh, one another to love and good works. So in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, speaking of the church in Jerusalem, it says that they were together and they had all things in common. And, and when we look at the context, we see that that was to render assistance to needy saints. And then we continue reading in chapter 4 and verse 31, they assembled together to pray. And again, in chapter 12, that was the case. And 
In chapter 6, they assemble to select specific people, specific men who were to serve there in the case of, of delivering or, or giving food to um, needy widows uh, and the widows who were the Grecian widows who were being overlooked. And so there was a kind of um, prototypical deacon selection. That's, that's my verbiage. That's not what Acts chapter 6 says, but... I think you can argue a good case that the men, the seven men who were chosen in Acts chapter 6 were serving in that kind of uh, capacity. Um, In Acts chapter 11, we see instructions in in divine matters to hear reports of of preaching. Uh, In chapter 14, uh, to hear discussion regarding God's will for Gentiles. In chapter 15, we have that big meeting there. And so just, you know, example after example, when we look through this history, we can see what these these brethren were doing in, in whatever locale they were. Um, they came together to break bread in Acts chapter 20, verse 7 in Troas, when Paul was uh, on his way to Jerusalem. He, he stops there and stays with that uh, local church, and he preaches to them again uh, until late into the night. And... Um, you know, there's just tons of examples that, that we could go through. So we look at these passages and others, and they tell us something. They tell us something about the, the work of, of saints who are acting collectively, who are, who are assembling themselves together regularly. They're not forsaking that. Uh, it tells us what they were about. And they're worshiping together, they're cooperating together, and they're trying to learn more of God's will, taking in His truth, and, t- and then talking about that truth to others and they take an open stand against sin, like in First Corinthians chapter five. You know, when one of their own number was steeped in sin, and, and they had done nothing about it, but were boasting about it. Um, and they were, and they were helping. Obviously, they were helping each other, who, those who were in need. And so, we find this absence of of church, um, football teams, and banquets, and holiday socials and coffee breaks and things like this. Another way to look for the work of the local church is to see how uh, they use their money. And I once talked with a man who was a member of a local church that did not believe in having a, a quote, church treasury, right? So so having a sum of money set aside um, that was collected from members of, of the church, as we see pattern in, in 1 Corinthians 16, and and having that amount um, set aside for the purposes we see it used in Scripture. He said that, you know, that they only collected funds when there was some need. And, you know, when, you, when I asked for an example, he cited one time when hail, um, you know, it hailed and it broke several wind, windows of their of their meeting place. And I told him we also only collected funds when there was some need. But what we find in Scripture is that there is a constant need. There's always a need to promote the Lord's cause, to take the gospel to to the world. There's always some need for that, for those funds. And so to this end, you know, we, you know, we do things like uh, print Bible class materials or print um, tracts or uh, do things like this podcast, or uh, have a, have a web presence on, on on the internet with you know with a website or you know or something else, and so there's always that need. There's always those opportunities there to teach the gospel, promote the gospel, uh, support gospel preachers in wherever they are in the world, 
And so there's there's this abiding need. And so that means that there needs to be a pool of resources to meet those needs. And that's what a local church does. It pulls its resources for collective action uh, by gathering those funds that can be exchanged for uh, accomplishing that work or to help in accomplishing that work. And so we just look again at the history of ch- of churches in Scripture to see how they use their, their resources. Um. When we when we go back to Acts chapter four, there were brethren who uh, sold their property. They, they sold their houses, and they came and they brought that money that they got from those things and laid them at the apostles' feet in Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two, and verses thirty-four through thirty-seven. And later, Paul instructed churches regarding uh, sending relief to saints far away. That's what he's talking about and discussing in First Corinthians sixteen. One and two, when he commands them to lay by in store on the first day of every week so that when he comes, no collections would need to be made. And then he was going to take that money and then he was going to bring it to uh, Jerusalem, to Judah, where there were churches that um, had, had needy saints. And he even said, you can send uh, somebody with me if you want to from, from your local church to, to help and make sure that that money gets there. And the local church also supported preachers, so not just people who were in need, but also uh, men like Paul who were teaching the gospel, who had given their lives to teaching the gospel. Uh, he mentions this in Philippians 4 and verse 15 when he's in a Roman prison and he's unable to um, you know, move about freely, but nevertheless brethren sent support to him, and he says that you supplied my needs abundantly, that you know I have an abundance, and uh, he is he's teaching whoever he can um, he, in, from that Roman cell. Uh, they care for widows indeed in First Timothy chapter five and verse three. So this is something that um, Paul instructs the young, the, you know, when Timothy's in Ephesus working for that local church. Um, he tells um, tells Timothy that widows, whom he defines as widows indeed, and he gives a list of criterion in that text. If you go there and read it, who are a certain age and, and had a certain character. Uh, they could be supported um, perpetually by a local church, but that was only after um, familial efforts had been exhausted. Her, you know, her own family um, had uh, had refused to support her. And um, elders as well, or, or overseers or pastors, as they're called in, in the New Testament, who um, Paul says again in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, those who labor in word and doctrine, but we don't read about, again, church kitchens or gymnasiums or anything like this. And so, you know, how we ask, how do, how do they get new numbers? They didn't use things like that to draw people to them. Uh, where did they find their, their joy? Uh, well, it was in being together, and it was doing the, those things, that work together and sacrificing together and worshiping together. Um, so there seem to be two major divisions of church work, local church work, and what we've considered thus far, uh, there were things for which the church could spend its resources for what we might call self-maintenance, like worship and maintaining a place of worship, self-edification and materials for that, and uh, the care for their own needy that, that existed among them, like the church in Jerusalem and, and Acts 6 or in Ephesus, First Timothy 5, um, when he's talking about widows specifically. And then there we could talk about the other um, division, which is kind of that external focus of of 
evangelism working in the world, preaching to the world or assisting other needy saints as the church in Corinth was willing to do and, and send money far away to brethren in Judah, to other Christians who were across the sea. And so this is, you know, this is kind of our outline. It doesn't specify the details that have to be considered uh, because those are variables that are going to change over, over time. But we see this this general pattern, and, and it helps us with insight um, and, and gives us insight into what God wants and what he's authorized us to do. And it shows us, too, I think, of this, that the church is a spiritual institution. It's especially designed to meet spiritual needs. And so that doesn't mean that it's wrong for individual saints to have uh, social fellowship or to be involved in sports together or to have those those kinds of interests and things or work in, you know, businesses together in the world. But um, but these are the activities that we uh, see regulated and authorized by by God's word that we've been considering thus far. Of course, all those other activities are, are regulated as well. You know, we're always Christians and and should conduct ourselves appropriately in whatever context. But as far as the collective work of the local church, that's been very specifically um, outlined for us. Um, it's, you know, the local church, like a fire department, is is financed for special reasons. You know, if you imagine a fire department needing a new fire truck, um, but it's, you know, but using the allotted money that they've been given, you know, from taxes and to, instead of buy that fire truck, what they, what they need, they use it to sponsor their, their softball team. Uh, that would be a misallocation of resources, right? That's, and, and we know we get that principle, I think in the, in the secular world and in the business world, but for whatever reason, when it comes to more important matters and seeing what God wants us to use our money for, our you know our collect our collected resources of the local church, we uh, tend to do whatever we want. Uh, you know, I knew of a church that built an auditorium and a gymnasium, but didn't have sufficient funds to build classrooms or to buy equipment and teaching materials for them. And so. You know, we we talk about these things, and, and and at some point we're often asking, you know, where is Bible authority to build any kind of church building, you know, you know, a place of worship or something to this effect, um, and that's and that comes down to, you know, an understanding or misunderstanding of authority, and so we have authority to assemble, as we've seen in Hebrews chapter ten, verses twenty four through twenty five, and what that does, you know, the what grants us authority to do something also grants us authority uh, to provide whatever we need to, to accomplish that. And so authority to assemble is also authority for a place of assembly. You know, we see examples in the New Testament where people borrowed, rented, or uh, built their own places. They used their houses. They used schools. They used, um, you know, the front porch of a temple. Uh, they just, they met in all kinds of places. They met outside by a river. Um, but, you know, obviously this can be abused and, um, you know, the, we, we can go overboard and that's a judgment call that, you know, the place and the furnishings that we use of the place and the equipment that's in the place, you know, should be suited to use to, to the use that, that God has authorized, you know, not, you know, we're not trying to hopefully build monuments to our pride and make these, you know, elaborate embellished kind of kind of places um 
and it shouldn't be a place for fun and frolic and uh, social per, to accommodate social purposes. Uh, you know, when the, for example, when the Corinthians misused the Lord's Supper and they turned it into a common meal, you know, Paul asked the question in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And so their their place of assembly uh, was not necessarily under consideration because you look at the end of the church, the letter, the Corinthian letter, and they were um, meeting in in their homes, a lot of them, uh, for the assembly. Uh, there was so there's nothing wrong. The point is there's nothing wrong with eating a common meal, uh, but they were confusing a worship assembly and the function of that assembly, which is worshiping God and and, and communion with the Lord with a domestic function or with a social one. And that's that's where they went wrong. That's what was sinful. Uh, and, and we can make the same mistake. We can get off the rails in the same way. And so the point is, is what we should be doing our very best, you know, to evaluate ourselves. That's what Paul calls for in, in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, examine yourself. And and in so doing, then partake of of the, the, the bread and, and the fruit of the vine. And so we, we don't want to be guilty of making that mistake, um, assembling, uh, and you know, let me say this, that even if we could get the, even when we do collectively act in the right way and, and spend our resources, you know, say to provide that place of assembly, to build a new building or to rent a place or whatever the case may be, you know, we can still come into that with, with the wrong attitude as, as an individual. And of course that's what was happening there First Corinthians 11, and so that speaks to our individual need to be uh, focused and understand the purpose for, for which I am assembling with my, my brethren. Uh, there's going to be some social aspects to that that's un- unavoidable, and you you know you visit, but you have to remember at the same time, I'm here to worship God, and I'm here to find an opportunity to um, encourage my brothers and sisters somehow. Uh, so Bible evidence indicates that there's you know a distinction has to be made also in individual obligations of a Christian versus those of the the local church acting collectively and you know I mentioned a moment ago in first Timothy 5 verse 16 um, I'll read that now if any believing man or woman has widows let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows um, or those who are widows indeed your Bible might say and so you know, there's one of those distinctions where um, Paul says there's individuals who have these obligations and they need to meet those obligations before the church is tasked, before the church is burdened with relieving those who are widows indeed. And so it, it, that shows us that, you know, whatever an individual can and should do doesn't necessarily mean that the church, the local church should do it. And sadly, there's a lot of folks in the in the world, in the religious world, who uh, don't see that distinction. Uh, but here, it's pretty clear there's an obligation of certain individual saints that's not the obligation of the local church as a unit, at least not first first and foremost. You know, another passage is another passage that shows a distinction in the uh, church and, and individual saint obligation is found in Matthew 18 and verses 15 through 17, where. Jesus is describing one brother going to another who who wronged him. Uh, you know, if your brother sins against him, you go and you show him his fault in private. In other words, you try to seek to correct the matter privately. 
And then if that fails, then that individual was to take along one or two more brethren with him so that Jesus says by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And so there is a, a plurality of brothers there going to try and work on the spiritual problem with another brother. But the but then he continues and he says, well, then if he refuses to hear you and these two or three other brothers you take with you, uh, then you tell it to the church. And so the church there is is more than just whatever those two or three that you brought with you are. So that so there's a distinction there. And if we pay attention to the text and we're just careful and we and we read it prayerfully, we can see these distinctions popping up. And they have to be remembered when we're studying the work of the church. Jesus says, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And so the church becomes an extension of those original individual efforts to correct to correct the problem. And eventually it has to be dealt with. This sin has to be dealt with publicly uh, in, the, in the local church. And we read about that. You know, in other places like First Corinthians five or Second Thessalonians three, and so th- these passages also teach us that the local church is an entity um, that it can hear and speak and fun- and should function as a as a unit. While people of God as individuals are to glorify God in all their activities, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. In First Corinthians ten thirty one, whether you're eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God. The, the local church is the only organized unit of saints recognized in God's word to accomplish his work. And so what that means is, is that true people of God don't organize um, things other than local church or organize themselves into things other than local churches to do uh, the collective work God has assigned them. Um, they don't set up other society. They don't set up, a, you know, a different society or a missionary society or try to uh, somehow formulate a, a hierarchy of organizations that bleed into one another um, or share their funds we, um, with one another, you know, local churches pooling their resources together into a, another organization or body. We just don't find that. Uh, evangelism is a is a priority within the church, but local churches overstep divine authority, again, when they organize a separate society to do that. And they start putting funds in a human organization to do their work for them and to carry their, the gospel to the world. That's just not the pattern that we find. And so we we make these mistakes when we ignore Bible authority. And, you know, it, it, you know, if we ignore for the moment the scriptural objects of church benevolence, how can we think churches may organize a benevolent society to carry material assistance to the world? We can make the same mistake there. You know that or, that organizational concept is is erroneous, regardless of emotional appeals. We could say, you know, look how much more we could do, or 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 look at the good we have done in the past tense. But this is something that is um, the local church's responsibility to care for their own. First Timothy five and to use oppor- whatever opportunities are put before us to relieve needy saints, not set up another organization to do it for us or fund another organization to do it to do it for us you know as an individual you know charitable alms deeds um contributions can be can be given to whoever uh, so long as it's authorized by god and and that can be another study in and of itself um you know for example i think some 
Christians give to the the quote Salvation Army without fully appreciating that that the entirety of that contribution doesn't go to you know helping those in need, but you know people get people get paid, and also the Salvation Army teaches false doctrine. But that's a you know that's one example of how you know we can as individuals make that choice, but we still have to be discerning to whom we give our money to in, in the efforts to help others and follow the example of the Good Samaritan. Um, so we've seen individuals saying we have you know we have God approved civic, social, and domestic obligations that are not obligations of the local church, um, but some who agree with that and see that in, in Scripture. Um, with those distinctions, we'll still find it difficult to include benevolent obligations in, in the list. And sometimes Galatians 6.10 is cited where, wherein Paul says, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But the context of Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 9 shows that it's individuals who are under consideration, not local churches. And, you know the the following context regarding circumcision in that passage. If you if you were to continue reading verses eleven through eighteen, um, you know he's not talking about local churches. He's talking about individuals who submit to the Judaizers who are trying to impose circumcision. And another text that's often cited is Second Corinthians chapter nine, in verse thirteen, where the the passage reads, and again to to all men. But the context of this assistance is the poor saints at Jerusalem. That's who Paul's talking about. If you go and you read that um, that portion of Scripture in its entirety. And so th- that was that was the focus there. So the passages that are often cited to try to justify a local church giving to a human organization or supporting human institutions like, you know, a hospital per se, which is, you know, that's a good, I'm glad we have hospitals and, 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 um, you know systems where into uh, that, that provide for you know things like foster care, <clears throat> but that's not the local church's uh, collective responsibility. You know Paul even says the Gentile givers have been made partakers of their um, uh, spiritual things and should minister to the saints and material things in Romans fifteen twenty seven and in Second Corinthians nine. Verses thirteen through fourteen, the recipients glorify God and pray for the givers, and that's that's not the response of of unbelievers is the point. And so those collective funds <clears throat> were sent to relieve needy saints, not not just thrown out for for general benevolence and to help whoever had their their hand out or whoever we thought was whatever we thought was a good cause, whether it be a hospital or orphans home or or something uh, you know equivalent that falls under the responsibility of individual saints. And so we have to be careful again to make these distinctions. You know, for a comparison, check the usage of, you know, when Paul says unto all men in 2 Corinthians 9.13 uh, with 1 Thessalonians 3.12, where he says, The Lord make you increase and abound in love one to another and to all men just as we do to you. And then verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts uh, as blameless and holy before him at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The, the same phrasing that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 9 is also there in 1 Thessalonians 3, but the context determines who he's talking about. It doesn't rule out other saints 
toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And so the scriptures limit benevolent work from the local church treasury to the assistance of of brethren to Christians who are in need. And so the chief collective work of of the saints can be spreading the gospel, worship, and edification of those who become the people of God and supporting those who are in need. And as with any study, we want to ask the question and, and, and think about, well, why does this, you know, why, why bring this up at all? Why, does, why is this important? And, you know, the, the short answer is because it's, it's important to God. And we can see if, if, if he thought it worth mentioning in his Bible and preserving those examples, he, he did it for a reason, right? Of all the things that he could have written about the history of the church, he chose to single out those examples in the book of Acts and, and preserve the instructions from places like first Timothy five and, and others. And so, you know, if it, if it matters to him, it should matter to us, regardless of any pre- preconceived notions we may have about what constitutes a good work that we're to encourage each other in, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 10. And so we have to be satisfied with whatever he's defined um, as the, the work of the local church and stay the course in that. Christ died to save save us from our sins and and to create a, a, something new and, and make a new family reconcile to his father and have a relationship with God again. And you wouldn't do that without caring how they spend their money, right? And how they're to organize themselves and how they're to work collectively. And um, that's why we need to pay attention. That's why it should matter, matter to us. And I hope it does. So let's continue to study these things and evaluate ourselves. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia. And this has been Faithful Sayings.